evening, guys. Uh, as Susie stole my thunder slightly, I'm going to start with a story, um, just in, to surprise you slightly. But a few years ago, I, I got a phone call from a guy from this church who I barely knew at all. Like We'd met once, I think, because he'd done a little bit of stuff with Trent Youth, and that was it. That was the like, extent of our relationship. Um, and so we had each other's numbers, but that was it. And uh, one day, my phone started ringing. I saw his name on it. I was a little bit confused. Um, but I assumed it would be something church-related, so I picked it up. And straight away, he was like, hey, Ollie, how you doing? Uh, just wanted to know if you wanted to come to the cinema with me tonight to watch the new Avengers film. And straight away in my head, I was like, oh, no. Like, what do I do? I don't know if you've been in this kind of situation before. I was like, I don't really want to go to the cinema with someone that I don't really know. And it's, it's really nice that he's asked me, and maybe, maybe he's just feeling a little bit lonely, wants to hang out with me. Um, so maybe I should, do, I should do that, I should go and hang out with him. So in my most enthusiastic voice, I was kind of like, um, yeah, yeah, sounds, sounds great, let's go for it. So we start talking about cinema times and that kind of thing, and then we start to arrange where we were actually going to meet, and this is where it got a little bit strange. So I asked if we were going to drive there, and he was like, no, obviously, we'll walk. And in my head, I was thinking, that's a really long way to walk. But he sounded really confident, so I just went with it. And then uh, he, he suggested that we meet at the end of his road. And I had no idea what he was talking about. So uh, he was like, at the end of the road. And I'm like, which road? And he's like, you know, next to the pub. And I'm like, which pub? And, and then there was just a couple of seconds of silence. And then he was like, wait a minute, who is this? <laughs> and, and so I said, oh, it's, it's Ollie. And he's like, Ollie who? And I was like, Ollie Ryan. And he's like, who? <laughs> and, uh, and so then I went from thinking that he wanted to hang out with me to actually having to persuade him that he, he actually knew who I was. And, and I was like, you know, Ollie Ryan, I do some youth stuff at Trent and, and that kind of thing. And eventually he was like, oh. He's like, you're definitely not who I, I meant to ring. <laughs> and so now I was basically praying in my head, please don't still go ahead with this. Please don't still invite me and like, make it out like it's all okay. And fortunately for me, he's quite a direct guy. He was just like, well, that was awkward. You are definitely not who I thought I was ringing. Uh, see you soon. <laughs> and and uh, we didn't actually see each other soon. He went on a church plant and we've never spoken again since. But, <laughs> but I, I remember that, that time very well. And... I know that's just a bit of a silly, awkward story about mistaken identity, but the reason that I mention it tonight is because I want to actually talk about that, about identity, and particularly ask that question a little bit like the question he asked me, of who are you? Because I don't know about you guys, but for me, I find that quite a tricky question to answer. I think if someone asked me right now, I'd probably start by saying, hey, I'm Ollie. I'm, I'm five foot seven and a half. It's an important half. I, um, I'm married to Rhea. I, I like to think I'm quite good at football. I work here at Trent. I drink a lot of coffee. I watch a lot of films. And I love winning board games. And as sad as it might sound, that about sums me up. But when I really think about it, I'm not answering that question of who am I. That's not really what I'm doing. But I'm actually answering, like, what do I do? Or what do I currently like? Or something like that. And that is essentially just stuff about me. It's not really at the very core of who I am. And so maybe for you it's like I'm a teacher, or I'm a student, I'm a doctor, I'm a mum, I'm a programmer, I'm a husband, I'm an engineer, I'm retired. 
any of those things. And it's not that any of those things are bad. They're great things. But I guess I'd ask the question, is that really who you are? Because the problem is, when we confuse who we are with what we do or even what we're good at, we find that who we are isn't really anchored to anything particularly secure. Essentially, it could change at any moment, and it's only secure as long as we perform really well at work or we're not criticized in our job or as long as we don't compare ourselves too much to the people around us or as long as when we're at uni, we go to every social event, we get all the highest marks, we're everywhere, we don't miss out on anything or as long as we just meet those ridiculously high expectations that either we've put on ourselves at some point or someone else has put on us. If we can do all of that, then we're just about okay. But it doesn't take much for that to change, does it? Like work, relationships, reputations. When they go up and down, usually our, our identity goes up and down with them. But the amazing thing about following Jesus is that he actually offers us an alternative to this. He offers us an identity that is actually anchored in something outside of ourselves, something that doesn't go up and down, and that's in him, an identity in Jesus. And the Bible has so much to say about what this means for you and me, that I'm forgiven, I'm set free, I'm a child of God, that he, he loves me even when I feel like a bit of a failure or like I don't match up. And he offers me a security that I can't find anywhere else. And so for all of us, when we're invited to follow Jesus, that's actually what we're invited into. But the amazing thing is that that's only like a part of the picture. Like Jesus does invite us to be individually transformed, but he actually invites us into something larger, something that's bigger than just us. Like he longs to bring together and unite a group of people who would have no other reason to be together than him. And if you were here a couple of weeks ago, John talked about that, about how we are part of that bigger thing, the body that is the church. And so it's almost like when we, when we come to follow Jesus, we, we join a team. And I mentioned at the beginning, I like football, and you might pity me slightly when you find out I'm a Sheffield United fan, um, and we're actually having a really good season, just so you know. But each player on the Sheffield United team, they, they are there um, their manager has picked them, put them in the team, and they are an individual player. But actually, more than that, they're part of a team. And in joining the Mighty Blades, they, they are now part of something that is bigger than just them. It's not just about them. That it's about the team that they play for, the colors that they wear. It's about who they represent. And in some ways, the same is true of us. And like, fortunately, there's not a, a particular kit or anything like that that we have to wear. But it does mean that there are amazing things that affect who we are because of the church that we're a part of. Not Trent Vineyard, but God's church. And so, like I mentioned tonight, I'm, I'm going to chat about identity, but I want to chat about it from this particular angle. Not of who am I or who are you, but who are we as a group, as the church. What does that mean? And so, if you do have a Bible, you might want to grab that. It's going to come up on the screens. If not, um, we're having a look at 1 Peter. Just one verse in that. Um, so, 1 Peter chapter 2. It's chapter 2, verse 9. Just the, the beginning of it. So, it says, But you are a chosen race, 
a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. So we'll just we'll pause there for a second. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And this is a letter written by Peter, uh, who was one of the, the first followers of Jesus. And it's written some of the earliest Christians. And if you've read the Gospels, you might have read about Peter. And he, he often didn't get it right. He, he messed up, but he loved Jesus. And he found himself leading the church, helping to lead the early church. And in this section of his letter, he's basically trying to get these, Christ, these early Christians to realize who they are. Outside of the stuff that goes on around them, he's, he's speaking to them as a group and he's saying, this is your identity. This is who you are now. And he's not referring to their job or what they do or anything like that. But he's saying that God has done something amazing. And so now all of us get to share in this incredible identity. That's what he's trying to say. And in this verse, there's, there's like four key phrases about our identity. So we're going to look at them one by one and have a little look at each one of them. And then after that, Peter actually goes on to say what this means, like what this actually means for us, like how this should affect everything else that we do, our jobs, our families, our friendships, everywhere that we find ourselves. And what we'll see in this verse is that who we are should affect what we do, not the other way around. Who we are should define us and give us a purpose, not actually the things that we find ourselves doing with our time. So if we have a little look at the first one. So it says, you are a chosen race. And I don't know what you think about when you hear the word race. We probably all relate to it in very different ways. And for a lot of us, it might be quite a personal issue. A few weeks ago, we had the Oscars. I don't know if you're into your films very much, but three of the films that were extremely... Oh, sorry. Three of the films that were extremely successful at the Oscars this year all in very different ways we're tackling this issue of race and how people over the years have been so mistreated and misunderstood because of it. And although Peter's letter was written at a very different time to the Oscars, he would have known a lot about racial tension. He was, he was brought up as a Jew. He would have been taught to be really um, proud of his heritage. He was living under Roman rule and occupation. There would have been Romans, Jews, Greeks, loads of other people there. And he would have seen attempted rebellions He would have seen uh, racial persecution. He would have seen people killed just because of their race or their religion. And then he met Jesus. And over a few years, he went on this journey of realizing that Jesus was actually doing something very different to what everyone else was trying to do. Which is why in this verse, he actually says, you are now more than just individuals. You are part of this new chosen race. And this race goes beyond borders, it goes beyond the colour of our skin, it goes beyond cultures or languages or countries or anything like that. And no matter what race or nationality we associate ourselves with before we came to know Jesus, he says, this is actually now who you are. We're part of something bigger than even that. And for some of us, we might be really proud of our culture or where we come from, and you know, that's, that's a good thing. Um, I love my family. I love where I came from. Um, it's a tiny little town called Bury St. Edmunds. I imagine not many people have actually heard of it. Has anyone actually heard of Bury St. Edmunds? Wow. More people than this morning. This morning there were like two people that put their hands up. But if you haven't been to it, um, it, it did actually win the very prestigious award of Floral Town of Britain in 2007. So uh, I know. I know, right? So if you haven't been there, you probably now immediately want to go. But I couldn't think of anything else that it's actually got going for it. But we, 
we all view ourselves as having a particular background. But ultimately, this verse completely challenges that slightly. It challenges our understanding of identity. Because I might think of myself as a white male, and you might think of yourself in a particular way. But when we follow Jesus, we actually get this new identity in him. And we're now in the kingdom of God, where there are actually people with very different backgrounds to us. And what matters now is that we are part of this new chosen people. That is who we are. And even though all those other things might still be true of us, they haven't changed, being part of God's chosen people is actually now the thing that takes priority. We're no longer defined in the same way that we were by before. And that is actually quite challenging. And with everything that's going on in the world today, this is one of the ways that we as followers of Jesus are called to be radically different, to lay ourselves down and to see ourselves as part of his chosen people. So where do you find your identity? Because Peter says that in Jesus we are part of this chosen race. And I think it's, it's really important to say here as well that this isn't about being a part of some kind of elite club. That isn't what Peter's trying to say here. The invitation to follow Jesus and be welcomed into this family and this identity is actually open to absolutely everyone. And that's what makes this so incredible and so unique. And it may even be that you're, you're here today, you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus, and actually that the invitation is open to you today to, to anchor yourself and your identity, not on something that changes, but on Jesus, and allow him to define who you really are. And race is a word that, w- that we probably hear every so often, but the next one is a little bit different. So it says, you are a royal priesthood. And there's loads of stuff in the New Testament about how we have been adopted by God. We're now co-heirs with Jesus, which actually makes you and me royalty, as fancy as that sounds. And not only are we royalty, but but Peter calls us a royal priesthood. And that's the word I want to focus on. And priesthood, it might conjure up images for you of like dog collars on or some fancy robes or something like that. And that, that isn't the point here. Fortunately, that's not the case for us. And Peter is not directing this at people like me who work for the church, like far from it. If anything, he's actually making the opposite point, that all of us, you and me and outside of this church, we are all now the priesthood. That's the point he's making. Not because of what we've done, but because of who we now are in Jesus. And if you've read a bit of the Old Testament, you'll, you'll know that the only people who were able to go into God's presence were the priests. Like their whole lives revolved around this undeserved privilege of, of stewarding God's presence and, and being able to actually enter it. And so Peter is now saying that we, as followers of Jesus, we find ourselves as part of that priesthood, which means that we get this clear and constant access to God's presence. And with the priests, you know, everything that they did was made sacred because of who they were. That's how it worked. And the implication of what Peter is saying is that the same now applies for you and for me. That just like those priests, everything in our lives is sacred. It's been made sacred because of who we are, which means that everything in in our lives can actually be an act of worship to him. Our hobbies, marriages, jobs, going out, staying in, studying, eating, sleeping, procrastinating, your days at work, your days off work, going to the gym, going to the cinema, going to church, cleaning your teeth, shaving, whatever it is that you find yourself doing, you live it all in God's presence. That's the point. 
because you are now part of the royal priesthood. And so you actually take God's presence with you wherever you go. And a great example of this is uh, three of our youth team um, from the Gap Year and Zoe. They've been running an alpha course in a local school recently over the last few months. And what's happened has, has been amazing. They started with eight young people coming along and week on week it's grown and now they've got about 20. And they've just been getting to know them and telling them about Jesus. And a couple of weeks ago, they, they did a session where they told them about the Holy Spirit, like what the Holy Spirit is. And then they prayed for these young people that they would feel God's presence. And you know, in the moment, some of them really engaged with it. Some of them were kind of like watching and seeing what's going on. And the session finished and they, they had to leave. And then they returned the following week to find out that off the back of it, one girl had gone straight to uh, the like, youth worker at the school and had decided to recommit her life to Jesus because she'd felt God's presence in that room. Uh, a, a boy who'd been really struggling with his behavior, apparently he'd been on minus six behavior points, whatever that means, but he'd been on minus six and now he was on minus one. And he said in his own words that the difference was because he'd been part of this alpha course. And then loads of the other young people on the course that they're doing just explained to these three guys that before they did the course, they wouldn't have said they had a faith at all, and now they say, say that they would. And that's amazing. I, I like, it's such a cool story. But the reason I share that story is that I think it's a really good example of these three living out their identity as the royal priesthood. I, I doubt they'd use that language to describe themselves, but they carry God's presence with them wherever they go. And in this instance, it was to a little classroom on a Thursday afternoon. That's what it looks like. And because God's presence is amazing, the lives of young people have been changed because of it. And it's great for them, but actually, this is the case for all of us. Me and you, we've been given that same privilege. And so I guess the question for all of us tonight is, do we know that? Do we know that we carry God's presence with us wherever we go? And if so, what might it actually look like for you to live that out in your job or with your family or with your friends? Our role is to carry his presence with us wherever we go. And when we do and when we invite him to do whatever he might want to do, anything could happen. And so the Bible says you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, and then it says you are a holy nation. And talking about holiness isn't always the most popular or exciting thing, like chosen race, uh, royal priesthood sounds kind of different and interesting, but be holy be a holy nation, you are a holy nation, maybe sounds a little bit less exciting. But it is so important to remember that with all of these things here, Peter is primarily talking about who we already are, not who we could be if we tried really hard to be like that. And so for all of these things, they are things that actually God has already done for us, not things that we can attain ourselves. We've been chosen, we've been adopted into the royal priesthood, and now God has made us holy. It's already happened. And so what this isn't about is about us behaving well on the outside. But it's about how God has already made us clean on the inside. Like when we give our lives to Jesus because of the cross, he looks at us and he sees us as clean. It's not about what we've done. It's not about the ups and downs on the outside. It's about how he's made us clean in a way that we could never clean ourselves up. That's what it means for us to be holy. But it would be selling us short slightly if that didn't also have some practical application. Like I mentioned earlier on, who we are affects what we do. 
but holiness should actually look like something. Like it's not boring, it's actually radical and it's attractive and it's controversial and it stands out. Holy means set apart, that's actually what it means. And we often downplay holiness to something quite bland and boring. But C.S. Lewis, I'm sure you'll have heard of him, he wrote the Narnia books and he had a lot to say about faith and following Jesus and he said this. He said, people know very little if they think holiness is dull. When one meets the real thing, it is irresistible. And think about what Jesus was like. He was irresistible to the hurting and broken people around him. He was compassionate, he was generous, he made time for people. People followed him everywhere he went. That's what holiness actually looks like. It's attractive, it doesn't stand in judgment, but it's compassionate, it's generous and open-handed. It makes time for people. It builds up and believes in the people around it. That's what the holiness of Jesus looked like, and actually that's the kind of holiness that me and you are called to live out. And a friend of mine, he recently changed his job, and he just made the decision, like in this new job, I want to take every opportunity to look out for my colleagues, to be generous and positive, to not give in to gossip and that kind of thing, to support colleagues where I can, to organize socials, and basically just try and make a difference by living differently in quite small ways. And he's just tried to live that out. He's been there for about three months. And just the other day, he got a text from one of his colleagues saying this. He says, thank you for being such an inspirational, motivational, and all-round awesome person to be around. You are the office legend, and we love you. And you know, he admitted to me, he's not done anything crazy. It's not that controversial. He's just tried to live the way that Jesus would live if he was in his office putting other people first and trying to live differently, trying to live out of that holiness that he's already got. Because God has made us holy and now he wants us to live it out in our lives. So what area of your life do you think God might be encouraging you to live out that holiness? What could it look like? Maybe you work in an office environment as well and it might just be as simple as making the effort and the time to listen to some of your colleagues, not giving in to office politics. It might mean you're a student, you don't have loads of money, and you have to think of actually slightly different ways to be generous and selfless. It might be little things like doing the massive stack of house washing up that there might be. I wouldn't want to assume that it is there. It might be just going above and beyond for your mates that are having a really tough time. Or it might even be in your family that this is where it's hardest to live out and just being like exercising forgiveness and patience again and again and again. Maybe... This week, just start with something really small, one thing, and ask yourself, how would Jesus live out the other six days of your week? What could that look like? And so finally, it says, you are a people for his own possession, God's own possession. And initially, when you hear that, you may think it, it has a bit of like an impersonal ring to it, the idea of being God's possession. I don't know about you, I'm basically a sucker for new and shiny things, um, whether it's getting some new shoes or a new coat, or that rare occasion when I get a new phone and I just think it's amazing. Or, or when my iPhone updates the software and they just make things look a tiny little bit different and for like a day I feel like I've got a new phone again, even though it's basically the same. I think Apple love people who are as easily pleased as I am. But the reality is with all of those things, I do move on pretty quickly. It doesn't take me long to get bored and just wait for the next thing that's going to come. That's how I tend to view my possessions. But the Bible 
when you look at the idea of being God's possession in there, it actually means that God is protecting us, that God is watching over us, that God is for us. In fact, the Bible describes God as a God who is jealous for you. So it's not only saying you are in my possession as in you are in my care, but it's saying I'm jealous for you. I actually want you to be the best that you can be. I'm jealous for your attention and your affection. And there's a song we used to sing um, at church a little while back, I haven't heard it in a little while, that used some words from the Bible that related to this, um, that says, I sang it this morning, I don't think I'm going to sing it, but it says, and if our God is for us, (laughs) no, 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 he said, and if our God is for us, I don't know why I did that, Um, then who can be against us? I don't know if you can remember it. And if our God is for us, then who can stand against us? And that's the idea here with being God's own possession. It means that we are secure because we are his and that he is for us. Okay, so it says we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a people for his own possession. And Peter was basically urging these followers of Jesus to view themselves in this way. And like I mentioned earlier on, this is actually bigger than all of us just on our own. So much of what we do and think about day to day can be about ourselves. But God actually wants more for us than that, which is why all of these things listed are bigger than just me and you. If you notice, it says you are a chosen race, not just a chosen person. It says you are a royal priesthood, not a royal priest, and a holy nation, not just a holy man or a holy woman. He's not speaking to individuals, but he's speaking to us as a group, to the church, and saying this is who you are. And all of us tonight will all view ourselves in slightly different ways. Some of us might see ourselves in light of our jobs. Some of us might see ourselves in light of our our background or our family. Some of us, it might be our gifts or talents or how we look or feel like people view us. But actually, the Bible would say that that's not who you are deep down. You are part of something bigger and you are his. That is our identity. And so there's, there's knowing it and really trying to get to grips with it, but then there's actually more than just knowing it. It's partly to change the way that we view ourselves. But the final bit of the verse, uh, Peter actually goes on to say that because of who we are, we actually basically have a new job description. Who we are affects what we do. So we're just going to finish on this final little bit of the verse. So it's just the second half of verse 9. So it says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So Peter has said who we are, but then he doesn't actually stop at who we are. He says, you are this so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into light. He's saying that actually regardless of our job, our life stage, whatever it is that we may do, this is actually who we are, and this is what our lives should look like, proclaiming his excellencies, and that comes out of a place of who we are. Another translation refers to this bit instead of excellencies. It says, showing others the goodness of God, which means that regardless of what we do day to day, our job is actually to make much of Jesus, to show others his goodness. Whether you're a student, or a teacher, or a husband, or a wife, or an engineer, or a doctor, or, or whatever it is that you are. Your job is to declare the goodness of him 
who brought you out of darkness and into light. That is our job description. Our purpose actually comes out of who we are. And when you think about it, this does actually inject purpose into everything that we do. It brings purpose to your relationships with your housemates or your family. It brings purpose to your job. It brings purpose to the time you spend studying. It brings purpose to your relationships. It brings purpose to how you socialize. It brings purpose to maybe how you raise your kids. In all of those different areas, basically out of a place of security, our role is to point to Jesus and his goodness. And for some of us today, what it really comes down to is needing to know who we are. Like I talked about at the beginning, when we base our identity on performing well, or being liked, or looking good, or being successful, or just looking like we've got it all together, it's tiring. And you can only do it for so long. You can only keep it up for so long. And actually, it might be that tonight you need to, again, maybe for the first time or for the hundredth time, anchor your identity in Jesus and see yourself the way that he sees you. And for others of us, the question might be, what's this actually going to look like for you to live this out? To show other people the goodness of God in your workplace or at uni or with your friends, living out forgiveness and patience and compassion and generosity. Because if we were all secure in who we are, in this identity in Jesus, then it would be liberating for every single one of us. And for a lot of us, it won't be an instant fix. It's not like we can just change the way that we think overnight. But it's more about the need to remind ourselves daily that actually my identity is not based on me and my achievements. It's on Jesus, on who I am in him. And actually it's bigger than just me. I'm part of something bigger. And when we can do that, And when we can see ourselves in that way, it will give us a freedom and a security and actually a purpose that we're not going to find anywhere else. That's what it's going to look like.